Let's take our Bibles this morning and turn to the Gospel of Luke, please. Luke chapter 5 in our Bibles this morning. Gospel of Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5. I would encourage you, um, if you may not be able to be out on the field uh, for our work day on the 21st, and that'll be a half of a day, and uh, staff and I were talking just a little bit about this morning, and uh, we are going to keep it limited. So we know Saturdays are precious. You've got to get work done around your house and with your family. Um, so we understand that there will be work going on out at the field throughout the month. Uh, we already have tents up, and the field is mowed, and things are, we got almost, I think every booth is up. Uh, we don't have the canopies on yet. Um, little by little, things will just keep happening throughout the week, but not without effort, not without work. And so if you are able to come out during the day, um, don't come out tomorrow. Pastor Scott's going to be a good husband and take his day off and spend time with his wife. So yeah, that's a good time to say amen. You're welcome to do that. There we go. So maybe we should have Pastor Burden fly his drone out there tomorrow just to make sure or something like that. But anyway, you can keep him accountable. But, uh, so there will be work going on uh, each day, but specifically, for many of us, getting out there during the week is not a possibility, at least during the day. But on the 21st is a Saturday. It's family work day, half day, with lunch for your family. My whole family will be there, God willing. And, uh, and then, of course, the 28th is the harvest uh, day. There are a lot of sign-up sheets out in the back. And I'd encourage you to sign up because that'll allow us to know where to plug you in at. And for some of you, being there on those days is not going to be a possibility. Maybe because of your health, um, maybe because of other things in your schedule, just aren't, you're not going to be able to be there. But I, I would ask that all of us be in prayer uh, for what, what's going to happen out in that field. We don't know all the young people that are going to be there. We don't know all their backgrounds. Um, uh, Pastor Jeff Redlin is going to be our speaker. He's an excellent speaker. Uh, he connects very, very well with teenagers. He's uh, precise and accurate in his preaching and teaching of the Word of God. He's a godly man. But um, it really doesn't matter who the preacher is if God doesn't work. And so we really need the Lord to work. And um, I thought we would take a break from John today. We won't be there the next couple of weeks either because of our missionary families. And I want to look at a particular narrative in the Bible in Luke chapter 5 that I think we can draw some understanding and some application to our lives, and particularly even to Harvest Fest, um, and what, God, what we need God to do in our lives as people. So look with me, if you would, Luke chapter 5. I'm going to begin reading in verse number 1. I'm going to read down through verse number 15, uh, just so you'll kind of see the stage of what's happening in our, Christ, in our Savior's life, in Christ's life at this time. And, uh, and then we'll get to our text. Luke chapter 5, verse number 1 says this. And it came to pass that as the people pressed upon him to hear the word of God. That's an amazing thought. He stood by the lake of Gennesaret and saw two ships standing by the lake, but the fishermen were gone out of them and were washing their nets. And he entered into one of the ships, which was Simon's, that would be Peter, and prayed him, Jesus asked him, that he would thrust out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people out of the ship. 
Now when he had left speaking, he said unto Simon, Peter, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a draught. Now we don't use that term too often. It means a catch or literally a haul. Uh, Peter, I know you just washed your nets. Thanks for letting me preach from your boat. But if you would, let's launch out into the deep and you cast your nets in again so you can have a real haul. Okay, a fish. Verse 5, And Simon answering said unto him, Master, we have toiled all the night and have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. Now, before I go on, the word master there means teacher. Now, Peter at this point is not an apostle. He's not even a follower of Jesus. He just happened to be there and hear Jesus preaching and teaching. A lot of people are listening. Um, it certainly must have caught Peter's attention so much so that when this teacher, Jesus, says, hey, take, let's go back out and you go fishing again, Peter gives a little bit of an argument. We've fished all night. <laughs> We're not going to catch anything else, just so you know. But at your word, we'll do it. Verse 6. And when they had this done, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes, and their net brake. And they beckoned unto their partners, which were in another ship, that they should come and help them. And they came and filled both the ships so that they began to sink. Both boats begin to sink because they have taken on such a haul of fish. Now that's the kind of fishing I think I could get into here. Verse 8. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man. O Lord. The word Lord there means curios, supreme authority over heaven and earth. Now, at this point, Peter, for the first time in his life, recognizes that this man, Jesus, is God. Okay, verse 9. For he was astonished, and all that were with him, at the draught, the haul of the fishes which they had taken. And so was also James and John, the sons of Zebedee, which were partners with Simon, with Peter. They were all fishermen together. Jesus said unto them, Simon, fear not, from henceforth thou shalt catch men. And when they had brought their ship to, ships to land, they forsook all and followed him. Verse 12, And it came to pass, when he was in a certain city, behold, a man full of leprosy, not just partially a leper, but full of leprosy, who, seeing Jesus, fell on his face and besought him, saying, Lord, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. Remember, leprosy in those days was incurable. Verse 13, And he, Jesus put forth his hand and touched him, saying, I will be thou clean. And immediately the leprosy departed from him, and he charged him to tell no man. Jesus tells him, don't tell anybody what I've done. But go and show thyself to the priest and offer for thy cleansing, according as Moses commanded, for a testimony unto them. So Jesus is saying, okay, I've healed you. Now you need to go keep the law, as the law of Moses tells you you need to go show yourself to the high priest so that you, they can give you a clean bill of health. Now this brings us to our text as we, we come here to verse 16. Look at verse 15 first. But so much the more went there a fame abroad of him, of Jesus, and great multitudes came together to hear and to be healed by him of their infirmities. Now we've seen this in our study of John, how popular Jesus was. Now he was healing people all of the time. It was happening daily. It's happening everywhere he went. Verse number 16, now we come to our text. 
And he withdrew himself into the wilderness and prayed. And it came to pass on a certain day as he was teaching that there were Pharisees and doctors of the law sitting by, which were come out of every town of Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was present to heal them. And behold, men brought in a bed a man which was taken with a palsy, and they sought means to bring him in and to lay him before him. When they could not find by what way they might bring him in because of the multitude, they went upon the housetop and let him down through the tiling with, with his couch into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said unto him, Man, thy sins are forgiven thee. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to reason, saying, Who is this which speaketh blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? They were right about that. Verse 22. But when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answering said unto them, What reason ye in your hearts? Whether it is easier to say, Thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, Rise up and walk. But that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power upon earth to forgive sins. He said unto the sick of the palsy, I say unto thee, Arise and take up thy couch and go into thine house. And immediately he rose up before them, and took up that whereon he lay, and departed to his own house, glorifying God. And they were all amazed, and they glorified God, and were filled with fear, saying, We have seen strange things today. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, help us, I pray, as we look at your word. What a wonderful passage of Scripture. Uh, Father, may our hearts be encouraged this morning that that there is a Savior and that we, we have been saved and that you desire to save and that you can save. Father, I pray that you'd... Uh, Strengthen our faith. I pray that you'd encourage us, each one of us, wherever we are. Not just about what you can do in a few weeks, on the 28th of September, on a farm field in the hearts of teenagers, but also in our hearts in the days between now and then and after. Father, that we have a Savior and that he can forgive sins. And Father, may our hearts rejoice in this truth. May we tell others, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Now, this man in the passage obviously has a need. Um, the disease he had is called a palsy, and for whatever reason, it involves some sort of paralysis to his body. And I don't know exactly what all was paralyzed. It seems like his legs were paralyzed. He couldn't walk, we know that. And so we have this poor man, and he would have been a poor man, he would have been a beggar, and uh, he's brought to Jesus by his friends, by some people who care about him, but instead of Jesus just healing him physically, he actually heals him spiritually first, interestingly enough. He starts out with, thy sins be forgiven thee, before he ever addresses the man's paralyzed legs. And so the Lord Jesus Christ gives him forgiveness. Now, we'll talk about forgiveness a little bit more this morning, but forgiveness is a beautiful, beautiful thing, to be forgiven, Uh, to be forgiven of one's sins, the past, all the sins of the past and the present and the future, to be forgiven of sin is a beautiful, beautiful miracle of God. 
And really, only God can do it. Now, I would like us to remember, as we come upon our time of the year at Trinity in September, where we could just rename it to Harvest Fest, the month of Harvest Fest. You know. um, with all the effort that will go into it, um, it's been promoted. Youth pastors are gathering funds from the young people. And if you don't know a lot about it, uh, Harvest Fest pays for itself. I don't know what all monies came through it last year, but I, sometimes it's $30,000. The young people will pay, I think, $20 a person to come. And uh, we as a church really don't contribute financially to it. It covers, it pays for itself. Uh, they'll, they'll, they'll erect a large tent where we'll have about 1,300, 1,400, 1,500 chairs under the tent. Uh, where the teenagers will sit and their youth pastors and the sponsors that bring them and their bus drivers, van drivers, pastors, things like that will sit under that tent. We'll have a couple of hay wagons that will be brought together and that will be the platform, bales of hay around it, and we have some ladies who will decorate for it with corn stalks and um, pumpkins. We have a lot of pumpkins. Um, and, the, and Pastor Redden will stand there and he will preach the Word of God from a couple of hay wagons to a bunch of teenagers who live most of their lives today on social media, but there won't be any of that at that time. They'll sit there and they'll hear the Word of God preached to them. But as we think about that event and all the work that's coming up, and there might be some of us in this room and we're excited about the work, can't wait to get out there. Some of us in this room, and we're kind of like, Ugh. September. Another month of setting up games and tearing down games. And, and is this really, what's the point of this? Is it effective? And should we be doing it? Is this, who pays for this after all? And, and we have a lot of questions like that that may come across our minds. But as we think about what's going to be happening on the 28th of September this month out in that farm field, I think there's three absolute necessities that we have as a church for that event to be successful. And I, and I see them in this particular passage. So I'm going to look at the text in its context, but I'm, go, I'm going to make some application to Harvest Fest because I think our thoughts need to be calibrated properly. Otherwise, all, all we will do is we will set up games, we will work hard, we will expend a lot of energy. Young people will come, they'll have a great time. But if God doesn't work, then it will all be in vain. And so for God to work as I believe he wants to work, and as I know he can work, our thinking needs to be biblical about the event. So I want, to, I want us to notice three primary needs that we have. Number one, we need the power of God in the event. Now, and I noticed in the passage, and maybe you picked up on it as I read it through, but I noticed that the power of the Lord was present. And anywhere you read in the Gospels where the Lord Jesus Christ heals someone, uh, whether it be physically and spiritually or one or the other, uh, the power of God is always present wherever a miracle is done. The power of God is always present whenever God is working. And so really what we're talking about here is either we can host an event without God working, or we can be a part of God working. I don't know where you're at in your heart this morning, but I got to tell you, I don't want to be a part of something where God isn't working. 
I want to be a part of, I want to be a part of God working. I want God to use me in whatever way he wants to use me, and sometimes it's through preaching. Um, you know, you saw Joel over here singing this morning um, as a young boy. Uh, God can work through us singing. Uh, he can work through us in our homes, in our marriages, in our raising of children, going into the workplace. But wherever it is, I want to be a part of God working, and I think you do as well. It says in verses 16 and 17 that the power of the Lord was present. Look back there, would you? Verses 16 and 17, it says, And he withdrew himself into the wilderness and prayed. Don't miss that. And it came to pass on a certain day, as he, as he was teaching, there were, that there were Pharisees and doctors of the law sitting by, which were come out of every town of Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem. And here's the statement, And the power of the Lord was present to heal You know, by reading that, I understand that it's possible for the power of the Lord not to be present. Wouldn't that be a terrible thing? It would be a terrible thing for us to gather here on Sundays and the power of the Lord not be present. It would be a terrible thing for Cindy and I to be trying to train up our children the way that they should go and me reasoning with my children and talking to them about biblical things, but the power of the Lord not to be present. That would be a terrible thing. It would be a terrible thing for us to show up on the 28th of September in our blue jeans and, uh, you know, and we show up on the field and all the young people come and we have everything in order because we've done it now for, this will be our 28th year, and so we know how it's set up, and the, the place looks immaculate, and the Jexes have been gracious enough to let us use their property yet again. Um, and yet the power of the Lord not to be present. That would be, a, that would be a tragedy. That would be a tragedy. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, we read another, of another account of where Paul seems to indicate that when he preached the gospel to a group of people, that his, the word of God was preached in the power of the Spirit of God. Listen to this. It says, Paul recounts this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. He says, For our gospel, that's the death and burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, when they preached it, he reminds them, Our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost. You see, it's possible to go through the motions of Christianity. It's possible to go through the motions of serving God. It's possible to say the right things, to wear the right things, to even do some of the right things, but to not have the power of God in our life. By the way, I think that's one of the greatest tragedies in all of Christianity. If all Cindy and I do in our home is teach our children to be moral, upstanding, well-spoken, well-behaved, able to interact well with people and hold down jobs. Maybe that would be better than the average. But if all we teach them is how to, be, go, to go through the motions of Christianity and religion, then we have failed them. You see, they need to be able to see that the power of God is present in their parents. 
And that's what Paul was talking about here. For our gospel came not unto you in word only. We just didn't preach a good message to you. We just didn't tell you that Jesus saves. But it came, our message came in power and in the Holy Ghost. It's possible to go through the motions of Christianity without the power of God to get up every day and to go to work and be disciplined. We're on time and we do a good job, better than the average, maybe really good job, but to just go through the motions to go to work without the power of God. It's possible, I think, to preach a message without the power of God or to sing a song without the power of God or for me to try to be a husband, the husband, kind of husband that God would have me to be, and just to go through the motions without the power of God. It's possible, I think, to talk to someone about Jesus without the power of God. It would be terribly sad if people left on Saturday, the 28th of September, and they had a great time. They got on their, in their vans, and the youth pastors saying, hey, we're all going to hit McDonald's up on the way home. Uh, do we have everybody in there counting people? And they get in their vans, and they've had a great day at Harvest Fest. They've had a great day. But the power of God wasn't there. What I desire for Harvest Fest we have all these sign-up sheets, and I'm, I'm asking you to participate as God leads you to participate, as you're able to participate. Don't do it. Let's not do it just to go through the motions. Let's not just have another harvest fest at the end of the September. Let's be praying for the power of God. What would be amazing is if those young people, as they're walking off that field, and I know there are different soils, there are going to be different hearts representing the different young people that are there. There are going to be some hard hearts. There's going to be some tender hearts. There might be some scorners and fools and simpletons, and there, might, there are going to be some wise young people out there too. But would be, what would thrill my heart is as they leave the field that day and as they go home and maybe even days later, they can't quite wrap their mind around what happened in their hearts that day. Maybe they can't explain it. Maybe none of them will be able to say, wow, the power of God was there. They may not know that. But what they do know is that God was speaking to them. That's what they do know. And you know, the only way that happens is by his Holy Spirit and by his power. On several occasions throughout the book of Luke, we see that earnest prayer brings great power. Earnest prayer brings great power to a situation. You know, when Jesus prayed, and you see it here, I think even in chapter 5 and verse number 16, before we read at the end, of verse, the end of verse 17, we read the power of the Lord was present to heal them. We see at the beginning of verse number 16, it says, He withdrew himself into the wilderness and prayed. Now, this is the Lord Jesus Christ doing this. Some of you go and you work in the jail ministry. You ought to take time to pray. If, if all you're doing is going up to the jail, the jail on Thursday nights, you're not taking time to pray, you're, you're coming short of what could be accomplished. We're in the RU program. Or even us as a church on Sunday. How many of us in this room, and do not raise your hand, but how many of us in this room know in our hearts that we, are, we got up this morning or maybe before we went to bed last night, we took time to pray for what God was going to do in our midst of, as a congregation of believers this morning. How many of us prayed? 
And I'm not, I'm not uh, belittling, I'm not, I'm not poking you maliciously this morning. But I am asking us, because I grew up in Christianity. I was born into a Christian home. I've been, I've been coming to every Sunday school, Sunday morning, Sunday nights, and Wednesday night services my entire life, 40 years. That's just the way I grew up that way. That's all I've ever known. And I still do it, right? Okay? But here's the thing. It's a great habit to be in. But you know what? Sometimes we take it for granted. We don't prepare. We don't pray. We just show up. Jesus actually took time to get away and to pray. And throughout the book of Luke and even throughout the Bible, we see that earnest prayer brings great power to a situation. When Jesus prayed at his baptism, the power of the Holy Spirit came upon his life. In Luke chapter 5, it tells us here he withdrew himself to some solitary place and then the power of the Lord came upon him. We read several times in the Gospel of Luke about Jesus going aside to pray and in every case, something remarkable resulted. In fact, in chapter six, 6 of Luke, Jesus gets away and he prays by himself, and very quickly thereafter, the apostles are being called to, to go with him. And we read about how people are being uh, healed everywhere. In fact, look there for just a moment, Luke chapter 6, and look at verse number 12. We're close by. Luke chapter 6 in verse 12. I hope we are challenged this morning on this matter of prayer because I do think it's one of, it's something that we struggle with so much. We're burdened for co-workers and yet we don't pray for them as we should. We, we desire God's wisdom in our workplace, but we don't pray. We, we want God's blessing in our marriages, but we don't pray. We're burdened and vexed over our children sometimes or we long for them to be successful. We want them to know God and love God, but we don't pray. We want to see God work in our church in this congregation, but how much prayer do we put into it? You're in chapter 6. Uh, look with me here at verse number 12. I'll read down through verse number 19. It says, And it came to pass in those days that he went out into a mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to God. He was a man. That would have taken a toll on him. Verse 13, And when it was day, he called unto him his disciples, and of them he chose twelve, whom also he named apostles, Simon, he named Peter, Andrew, his brother, James, and John, Philip and Bartholomew, Matthew and Thomas, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the called Zealotus, and Judas the brother of James, and Judas Iscariot, which also was the traitor. Verse 17. And he came down with them and stood in the plains in the company of his disciples and a great multitude of people and of all Judea and Jerusalem from the sea, of, from the sea coast of Tyre and Sidon, which came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. Verse 18, and they that were vexed with unclean spirits, they came and they were healed. And the whole multitude sought to touch him, for there went a virtue out of him and healed them all. Again, my simple point is just that Jesus took time to pray. Jesus took time to pray. We call ourselves Christians, which is, is to be uh, described as little Christ or Christ followers. Are we Christ followers when it comes to prayer? Are we following him? Because he took time to pray. At times, all night to pray. He would take time, he would get away to pray. On occasion, I will stop at the church building and, uh, and I will walk through the, 
the facility and I'll just pray. Walk through where the Brian class meets or where the teenagers meet. Walk through the nursery. Walk through the auditorium. Go up where the home builders class meets and just pray. Walk around and just pray. For me, it helps me to get away from my life, so to speak, to pray, to focus, to think of you. Take time to get away to pray. So how are we doing in our prayer closets? In Matthew 6 and verse 6, it says, But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet, and when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. I mentioned already, if you're, you may not be able to, whether you're able to be out in the harvest field on that Saturday or whether you're able to be there for the workday on the 21st for four hours or not, you do what is right between you and the Lord. Don't worry about what I think. I'm not, taking, I'm not keeping a register, an account of who's there and who's not. Where's Grant Paddock? Where is he? Is he here? Has anyone seen him? No. I'm not doing that. Um, you do what you're able to do. But whether you're able to be there or not, would you pray with me for Harvest Fest? Would you pray with me to the God of heaven over souls of people, of young people, knowing that we have the infallible, inerrant word of God that's going to be opened and is going to be preached? Would you pray for Pastor Redland that he wouldn't just go through the motions, that he wouldn't be tempted to just go through the motions of preaching in the flesh because he's preached to thousands of teenagers before and, and frankly, he probably could just wing it and none of us would know the difference? Would, would, you, would you pray with me that God would burden his heart and would convict him of sin in his life it's, if it's there and that he'd be a clean vessel, an honorable vessel, a usable vessel and that he would... That he would be empowered by the Holy Spirit of God, and when he stands that day, whether he knows it or not, whether there's opposition in his life or not, and there will be, I would imagine that somehow the Spirit of God will empower him to accurately communicate the Word of God and that the hearts of God's people and the hearts of unsaved young people under that tent will hear the Word of God preached and spoken, and that their eyes will be opened. You see, there's much to pray for. Jesus actually took time to go to get alone with his father and pray. You and I can do that. In Matthew 28 and verse 18, the Bible says this, And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. So we know that God has the power. We know that God answers prayer. We just need to set some time aside and we need to pray. In Matthew 7, in verse 7, Jesus said this, Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth. And to him that knocketh, it shall be opened. So the question is, are we asking? Are we seeking? Are we knocking? I won't ask you to raise your hand this morning, but how many of you in this room, honestly, before the Lord, can say, You know what? I've been praying for the young people that are coming at the end of the month. I've been praying for them. I've been praying for our speaker. In 1 John chapter 5, in verse number 14, uh, one of, two of my favorite verses in all the Bible, it says, and this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. 
And if we know that he hear us whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. John says, when John was saying that when he prayed, God said yes. But the conditions for receiving a yes answer from God were that he, John, prayed in obedience and submission to the will of God. That John knew what God's will was, that then John submissively asked for God's will to be done in that situation. And John said, when I pray that way, God always says yes. And it wasn't just John saying that. It was John penning down what the Holy Spirit of God wanted us to know. So I think about, well, what is God's will to be accomplished on that Saturday? Is it God's will that people would applaud us as a church for Harvest Fest for so many years? Is that what God wants? I don't think he's interested in that. I think he, I know that he's interested in his glory. I know that he wants to be honored in the lives of his creation, those young people. I know that he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So I know that he wants young people to come to repentance. I know that he wants his word to be preached. And as Paul exhorted Timothy to preach the word, so too Pastor Redland is exhorted and commanded by the Spirit of God and the Word of God to preach the word, to be instant in season and out of season, to reprove and to rebuke and to exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. And we could pray that verse for Pastor Redland. Lord, help Pastor Redland to preach as he has been commanded by you to preach. Many of us in this room are not called to preach. Many of us are not in a position to tell Pastor Redland how he should preach. But you know what? We know how he should preach according to the word of God, and we could pray that way. We could pray that way. So our, the question is, are we taking time to pray? The question is not, does God answer prayer, or does God hear prayer? But the question is, are we taking time to pray? In James chapter 4, he says this, Ye have not, because ye ask. It would be shameful, I think, to put in all the effort and all the work, all the promotion, and to show up and have a good time with each other. And I always have a good time on Harvest Fest and the workday just being with you. I enjoy it. I enjoy it. But it would be a shame for us to show up and to work together and to enjoy one another's company and even to enjoy that fellowship of working together, but to not have the power of God because we didn't ask. Lord, would you please show yourself mighty on that day? Not for my name, not for our name as a church, not for our reputation so that we can be known as a church that does things well. You know I like things decently in order, but that's not the most important thing about that day. A tent can fall down as long as it's not the one with all the children under it. You know what? A game can break. And ultimately, none of that matters if God's power is evident in the lives of those young people. You know, wouldn't it be wonderful, and, and as we heard Pastor uh, Shetler preaching, Pastor Burden included a clip of Pastor Shetler from last year preaching, and he was, he was exhorting the young people to, to, to ascertain, to find out God's will for their life, and to want God's best for their lives. Don't take, don't waste all of your life coming to that, but seek it, and Ask God to show it to you and, and then pursue it with everything that you have. Wouldn't it be great if, if 
and it's not going to be the same in the life of every young person. For some young people, God's going to convict them through the teaching of his word to be pure in their lives. And others, and maybe there's going to be another person there, and God's going to actually call that young man to preach his word. And it's not that he's going to walk off that field in a suit and a big family Bible and all sermons and all Bible knowledge and never failing or falling again. That's not what's going to happen. <laughs> but it's going to be clear in his mind that day that as it was in my life in Ireland as a 16-year-old boy, um, when God revealed to me through a missionary giving us a challenge, uh, a man with the last name of Gordon, I don't even know his first name, but he preached that day out of Isaiah, and I will never forget that day because it was that day where the Lord made it very clear to me that he was calling me to preach his word. And I've never forgotten it. It's not like I arrived. I've fallen so many times since then. I've struggled. I am not all that I ought to be. But God, God's power was there that day. And I'll never forget it. You know, that can happen this Saturday. There, there can be some young people, people there this Saturday who are rebelling and living in rebellion against their parents who are, frankly, following the world. They're becoming worldly young people. They're becoming carnal. Uh, their, 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 their mouths are becoming foul, and their thoughts are becoming foul. And, and the Spirit of God can move through His Word. As Pastor Redland, who doesn't even know the young person's name, preaches, and a thousand young people are sitting there, and the Spirit of God can point and point out in that particular young person's heart, this is the issue, and I am the one who can deliver you from this issue, and it can save that young person from a multitude of heartache and regret. That can happen. But it's going to need, it's going to require the power of God upon the day. And we can obtain that power through prayer. I also notice, secondly, in this passage that Faith was evident. So the power of the Lord was present in this passage, and we need the power of God in our lives. Secondly, I noticed that their faith was evident. And so I'll say it this way, we need some faith. And I say it that way intentionally. I didn't say we needed incredible faith. I didn't say we needed uh, immense faith or awesome faith or we need to be people of faith, like nobody's ever had faith before. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying we need some faith. Some. I don't always have the faith that I ought to have. I don't always take God at his word. Neither do you. But we need some faith. If this day is going to be what it ought to be, if God, we're going to have God's power on that day. And don't just, this is not all about that day. If you and I are going to have God's power in our lives daily, we need some faith. Look at the passage, would you? Verse number 18. Verse number 18 in Luke chapter 5. It says, And behold, men brought in a bed, in a bed, a man which was taken with a palsy, and they sought means to bring him in and to lay him before him. And when they could not find by what way they might bring him in because of the multitude, they went upon the housetop and let him down through the tiling with his couch into the midst before Jesus. And so you see what's happening here? 
This man has some friends. He can't walk. They bring him in. He's in a bed. The Bible calls it a couch. They carry him to the door, but there's such a multitude of people packing the house, outflowing from the house. There's no way to get through the mass of people to Jesus. They've got a man who has a need. They're to the house where the master, where the Lord Jesus Christ is there teaching, the one who can make this man whole again and make him walk again, but they can't get him into the door. And so what do they do? They go up on the roof of the the house. They go to some great labor, actually. And they tear off a part of the roof of the house. Aren't you glad you're not the homeowner? They tear it off, part of it, and they lower their friend right in front of Jesus. I don't know if he came in over top or in front. It had I, hard for me to imagine that it was perfectly right here. I, I wonder if what was falling from the ceiling. I hope they didn't drop anything. But of course, if they did drop something heavy and it conked someone in the head, Jesus was there, so it would have been okay. Right. But I can't help but notice. Look at verse 20. It says, And when he, Jesus, saw their faith, he said unto him, the man who is paralyzed, man, thy sins are forgiven. Now notice in verse 20, Jesus didn't see, oh, let me ask you, whose faith did Jesus see? The friends, the faith of the friends. Jesus saw the faith of the friends, and he saved the soul of the paralyzed man. Now, I don't know exactly where that man's faith was. He allowed them to carry him up on the roof and lower him in. So he had to be a part of it. You you follow me? But I cannot help but notice in verse 20, Jesus saw their faith, and he said unto the man, Thy sins are forgiven. Now, we know what faith is. Faith is not a hope so. It's not a wish. It's not a wing and a prayer. It's not a, I'm going to cross my fingers and hope for the best. That's not what faith is. Faith is taking God at his word. It's trusting in what God says. It's trusting in who God is. Faith is taking God at his word. And we understand that without faith, according to Hebrews, it's impossible to please God. In Romans chapter 14, in verse 23, it says, Whatsoever is not of faith is sin. And I'll go so far, using Harvest Fest as an illustration, to say, That if we just go through the motions and we do not ask for the power of God, maybe just presume presume upon God that he will work and that he's going to do something, after all he should, after what we're putting into it, uh, that's not faith. And I'd even go so far as to say, is it sinful? But God-pleasing faith begins when we realize that we are insufficient to meet the need. And I'll be the first one to admit that this morning. I'm insufficient to meet the need of the young people who are coming on the 28th. I'm insufficient. I can't save their souls. I don't know all their issues. They're coming from all different home lives, broken homes. They're they're coming from maybe some pastor's homes. They're they're in every home in between. And I don't know all their needs, but I'm insufficient to meet their needs. There's not enough of me. There's not enough wisdom in me. There's not enough power in me to meet all their needs. So faith starts when we understand that we're insufficient to to meet the need. And don't just apply it to Harvest Fest, apply it to other parts of your lives. 
But we also know that faith starts when we see we're insufficient to meet the need, but God is sufficient to meet the need. Look back to verse number 12 in chapter 5, verse 12, and, and, note, and remember with me the, the faith of the lepers. We, I read through it briefly, but look at verse 12. It says, And it came to pass when he was in a certain city, behold, a man full of leprosy, who, seeing Jesus, fell on his face and besought him, saying, Lord, if thou wilt... Thou canst make me clean. Now, that, that doesn't sound like a lot of faith to me. If thou wilt, you can. In verse 13, it says, And he put forth his hand and touched him, saying, I will be thou clean. And immediately the leprosy departed from him. So we see the, the, the faith of the leper. The leper knew that Jesus Christ was sufficient, but notice that it was the faith of those who brought the crippled man here that ends up saving this man. I dare say, again, that most of these teenagers coming to Harvest Fest won't. They're not coming looking for God to work in their lives. They're coming because a youth pastor put this on the calendar. And he said, you better be there. <laughs> That's why they're going to be there. He said, it'll cost you 20 bucks. And they said, okay. And, and it's a bus ride. It's a van ride. That's, those are always fun. Smelling each other for a couple of hours. That's fun. And, we're going, and then a couple of them are going to be like, where are we going? They don't know. What are we going to do? There's preaching. What? There are games. This is where they don't know. Most of them are coming with zero expectation. Most of these young people, and if there's five of them, of the thousand, who are coming praying, Lord, please work in my life. Speak to me through your word today. I'd be shocked if there were five of them. I'd be shocked. But there's about 250 here. And you know what they need. They need what we need. They need God to work in their hearts. They need God to have mercy on them. They need God to be gracious to them. You and I have experienced God's mercy in our lives, have we not? We, we continue to experience it. Have we not experienced the grace of God? Do we not find ourselves rejoicing in how he's working in our lives, even through difficult and hard things? They need him. They need him. We know him. So most of these teens aren't coming thinking they need help. They're not looking for God to work. And so church members, whether you're going to be on that field or not, and Harvest Fest workers, and you're going to be out there in that field and Right, it'll be maybe it's misting or the sun is cloudy or maybe it's really hot. You watch, it'll be 90 degrees or something ridiculous, you know. And and then all of you who complain about cooler weather, um, we'll look at you. But what, no matter what it is, we're going to be out there in that field. But you know what? What kind of faith does God find in us? That's my question for us. Because Jesus saw the faith of the friends. He might not see much faith in the lives of those young people, but he ought to see some faith, some faith in us. What, what kind of faith is he going to see? You know, faith comes in different sizes, in different shapes. In Luke chapter 17, in verse 6, Jesus taught us to use what faith we have. And maybe there are some of us this morning, and you're, and you're, you're like me, and you're, you say, Pastor, I don't have a lot of faith. I, I'm actually a little weak in the area of faith. Sometimes. 
Jesus said it this way, And the Lord said, If ye had faith as a grain of a mustard seed, ye might say unto the sycamine tree, Be thou plucked up by the root, and be thou planted in the sea, and it should obey you. So apparently there's not a whole lot of faith in people. Or maybe there'd be more trees getting uprooted along the way. I don't know. In Luke chapter 5 and verse 12, the leper had enough faith, as we read, to say, Lord, if thou wilt, thou canst. But he didn't have enough faith to be sure that Jesus would heal him. But he had enough faith to believe that that Jesus could heal him. Lord, I don't know what you're going to do, but I know that you can change some hearts on that field that day. Lord, I don't know what it's going to look like. God, I'm not asking that the altar be full of young people. I'm not asking asking that we have cards filled out for every young person God, I'm not asking you to call a bunch of young men to preach your word. I'm not asking you to do. I am asking you, Father, because you can, to work by your power as only you can in the lives of those young people on that field. You see, we know nothing of the crippled man's faith, but the faith of the determined friends who brought him were his blessing. You know, faith is more action than feeling. It took faith to do, think, of, think with me now, it took faith for his friends to do what they did to get him to Jesus. That was an act of faith. That's what Jesus saw. They ripped the roof off the place. Jesus saw their faith. And he said, your sins be forgiven you. Wow. Now, we're not going to tear any roof off for Mr. Jex. Don't do that. If you don't go out there and just start tearing off the roof. But you know what? We'll be setting up booths. We'll be mowing. We'll be, we'll be running the game with a clown face and beanbags. You know, that's exciting. Does anyone ever play that game? That's my question. That was a joke. Someone probably does. But you know what? No matter what it is that you're doing, would, would to God that God would see our faith in it? That we're out there, we're preparing with what he's going to do in mind, with God's glory in mind. God, I'm out here on this field, and I'm working so that you can show yourself strong in this situation. That's why I'm here. Hebrews 11, verse 6 says, But without faith it is impossible to please him, for he that cometh to God must believe that he is. You know, praying is actually a step of faith, according to Hebrews 11, verse 6. Those who come to God, that's a step of faith. You say, but I don't come to God early enough. Pastor Ferguson, I don't get up at 5 a.m. to pray. Well, what time do you pray? Because that's a step of faith. Maybe you get up and you forget to pray, and you're on your way to work. And, and then you remember, oh, I didn't pray today for that, for my family. I didn't pray for my marriage. I didn't pray for Harvest Fest. I didn't pray for our church. I didn't pray for, well, then you pray then. It's a step of faith. God's please. Come to him then when he prompts you, when you think of it. You see, God wants to see our faith as we prepare for what only he can do. There's a lot to do, but in in everything that we do, let's do it as an act of faith to the Lord. And there's one last thing that we need, and this is something only God can do. We need the power of God. We need the faith of some. And I, I noticed thirdly and finally that I noticed sins were forgiven in the life of this paralyzed man. And that's the third truth I think we need. We need God to do what only he can do, and that's to forgive sins. You know that there are some young people who will be there in that field who are guilty. They stand guilty before God 
of all of their sin. If they were to die, they would go to hell for all of eternity. They're unforgiven. Have you ever found yourself in a place where you're unforgiven, where you're guilty? Isn't it terrible? Do you remember the time in your life before you had been forgiven by God? There needs to be forgiveness. Look at verse number 20 of chapter 5, verse 20. And when he saw their faith, he said unto unto him, Man, thy sins are forgiven thee. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to reason, saying, Who is this which speaketh blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? And when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answering said unto them, What reason ye in your hearts? Now notice they hadn't said it out loud. They were just thinking it. (laughs) And, And he asked them out loud, What are you... What are you reasoning through in your hearts? Then he goes on, because they probably just looked at him with big eyes. Verse 23, whether it's easier to say thy sins be forgiven thee, is that easier for me to forgive somebody their sins? Or to say, rise up and walk? Which one's easier? Verse 24, but that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power upon earth to forgive sins. He said unto the sick of the palsy, I say unto thee, Arise and take up thy couch and go into thine house. See, Jesus healed this man and allowed him to walk again just to prove to all the people in that house not that he had the power to heal a man who was paralyzed, but that he, as God, could forgive sins. And that is the most amazing miracle that has ever been done on the face of this planet. That God forgives sinners. We talked a couple of weeks ago about how Jesus is a friend of sinners. God forgives sinners. And he can. And he can be just in doing so because he paid the price. Because he died our death. He suffered our death. Jesus can forgive sins. Look at verse number 25. And immediately he arose up before them. And here's proof. It's in the pudding right here. And he took up that whereon he lay and departed to his own house, glorifying God. And they were all amazed, and they glorified God and were filled with fear, saying, We have seen strange things today. And the word strange means incredible or awesome. That's what it means. You know, I I would love, I love, I I love Harvesters for a couple reasons. One of the things I love most about it is the time we get to work together. And we, and by the end of the days, or we're tired and we walk off the field, but we get to be together. I love that. I don't think churches get to be together enough in our day. So that gives us an opportunity for that. But one of the things I've loved about Harvest Fest over these years is how God has worked powerfully in my own life and in the lives of other young people. And I would love it if we were to walk off the field on Saturday night. Some of us after dark. And as I drive home, be able to think to myself, Lord, you did some incredible things today. You did some awesome things. We've seen some strange things today. Things we're going to think on for quite a while. This wasn't just like another year or any other year. God, you did some amazing, powerful, life-changing things. But there are some things that we need. I've given you three of them. 
from the Bible. We need the power of God on that day. We need the faith of some. And we need him to forgive some sin.